Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about a movie that just came out today. Borat. Borat's subsequent movie film. Uh, so in 2006, Sacha Baron Cohen took his Borat character to America and made a film called Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Yes. Uh, and the idea in Borat 2, as it's known, Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Yeah. Um, is that Borat has been in, in a work camp in Kazakhstan for the last 14 years. Um, the film went down very badly. Kazakhstan was made a mockery of on the world stage and his government punished him for it. But now uh, that film came out in the Bush years. Obama's happened in between and now we're into Trump. And they decide that the, the, the Kazakhstani government says, oh great, a dictator, just the kind of guy we like, like Kim Jong-un and all the rest. Trump, let's go make friends with him. So Borat comes out of prison to take a gift to America. The gift is Johnny the Monkey, who is uh, one of Kazakhstan's biggest stars and most famous porn actors. And it's a monkey. <laughs> and what, he's, what he discovers as well is that he, uh, his family hates him, but he also discovers he's got a daughter that he didn't know he had, and this daughter is 15 years old. And the daughter is, I think, a play-by-newcomer, Maria Bakalova. Um, who is like 24, 25, mm. but she's playing a 15-year-old, right? And she stows away to America and eats the monkey. <laughs> and what they decide is, well, we're going to try and give you as a gift to mm. America. So the film starts off with this theme, which is the idea of women as chattel gifts yes. and powerful men. Uh, not even powerful men, but just the patriarchal society that we live in being able to do what they want with women. Well, that's what the film hangs its jokes on, right? Mm. So it begins like that, uh, and then it ends with, you know, the daughter being a more famous journalist than he, and both of them railing against the patriarchy, right? So Yeah, turning so, Kazakhstan into kind of a woke country. Yes, like yeah. Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my feeling was that for the first five minutes... I couldn't stop laughing, and I was laughing out loud, right? It was like one great joke after another, like, you know. Uh, and and jokes that um, almost go too far, yeah? That you, you know, it's almost like you can't believe you're seeing. So part of the reason why you're laughing is because it's so outrageous, right? Mm. Um, and they all landed, like, you know, I was really hooked. Uh, and then something happened, like you know, in the middle of the film where it made me increasingly uncomfortable. And then I was feeling uncomfortable and not always laughing. What was, made you uncomfortable? Um, or could you describe the discomfort? Yeah, it, it was an odd thing because actually it wasn't a discomfort, you know, I mean, I sometimes feel a discomfort because he's laughing at these people, these, you know, uneducated people, but actually they're not poor. So actually my sympathy wasn't with them, really. You know, it was almost like a, a kind of a sense of danger, yeah? That, like, uh, you know, you think something horrible is going to happen, right? Right. And then, of course, it doesn't because he is Sasha Baron Cohen. But it's almost like pushing things too far, yeah? Like, kind of, you mm. know, that that you get a real... Yeah, that it's not worth the joke. Yeah. So we should say, like, if you haven't seen Borat and you haven't seen Sasha Baron Cohen's work, 
the way the film works is uh, he is playing Borat through and through. No one knows, theoretically, no one knows who he is. Yes. I mean, part of the thing in this is that actually, as Borat, the film was so popular in 2006, he has become well-known. Yeah. So Borat is now having to put on disguises so people stop recognising Borat, right? Still, the idea is that he and his daughter are basically... It's it's a uh, candid camera is not quite right because the cameras are there. They're making a film for Kazakhstan, but people don't suspect that they're you know people aren't in on this joke, right? That's the idea. And yet you think, how could they not be? Like you know, so there's that scene where where he ends up living with these guys who it seems are a gay couple actually, you know, but who are really right wing and conservative and well, they're conspiracy theory guys. Really, they're into like QAnon. Yeah, and the, the Clintons eating babies and that sort of thing. Yeah, like they're really know, off the deep end. They're really off the deep end. But you think, how could he be there in cameras for what looks like days? Yeah, like that was yeah. not filmed in an afternoon, right? He must have been there for days and days and days. And how totally not clue in? I don't get it. I, I think it's possible. I mean, the thing is, a lot of people still don't know who Borat is. You know, America's a big country and. There are millions of people, and mm. he's not like he's not Charlie Chaplin, you know. Like he's not like the face everyone recognizes. So um, I'm sure he's got into scrapes before with people recognizing who he is. Yes. And in fact, I think in here uh, we'll get onto the Rudy Giuliani bit, but there was a statement that he sort of put, well, not a statement, but something he said ages ago when they filmed that scene that uh, Rudy Giuliani told the press, like I realized later it was Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm. So like, so he, people do, you know, sort of know who he is. But um, a lot of time, it's it is just it is news people because you just you live in two different worlds. You don't know who. Well, the way that he operates is he um, reproduces all of these horrible people's horrible prejudices, yeah, Mm. until he pushes it too far, and then they get uncomfortable. Yeah, right. or at least at least they should. I mean, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they sing along with, chop them up like the Saudis do. Yeah. inject Obama with the Wuhan flu, which is what he sings. Yes, um, um, which which kind of recapitulates a song he did like fifteen years ago. It wasn't in the film; it was in his TV show called "Throw the Jew Down the Well," where Borat went to America, went to like a country bar, and sang um, "Throw the Jew Down the Well," so my country can be free. The, the idea is Kazakhstan's got a problem with Jews, um, and the crowd start to sing along and that's a very well-known bit i don't know if you remember it at all no. but it is a very well-known bit that that you know is kind of taken as this emblem of exposing people's prejudices or at least if not prejudices their their ability to be comfortable singing along with something that disgusting out of politeness yes um, but i wonder what the effect of it is though because you see as you know in polite society that revelation alone you would have expected to have been the cause for action. Yeah, that kind of, um, you know, it's so extraordinary to reveal kind of those sentiments or those thoughts that it leads to change. But actually in the culture that we live in, in a Trumpist culture, what does the revelation, you know, of these anti-abortionists or these Republican women, yeah, or these conspiracy theorists, what do they actually... Uh, topple or or destabilize nothing. Hmm. Well, this is something I wanted to get onto because I like the film rather a lot. But I was thinking, um, what? Oh, well, I, I started thinking, oh, it doesn't really tell us anything we don't already know. Um, like that is true. It's hardly a surprise that you know a, a Christian doctor 
would sort of cancel against abortion and say, God put this child in you or whatever. Yes, um, even when he thinks it's uh, the father who did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hardly a surprise that um, the Republican women, for instance, would you know be supportive of, of this woman hmm. at first, and then when she start when she uses the word cunt, and when she starts describing masturbation, they go, "Oh no, we don't talk about that here." Hmm. Um, they were getting com- you know, it, it, it's hardly surprising they were getting comfortable with that. Actually, I didn't think it reflected all that badly on them. Frankly, like she they is were really, she <laughs> is really pushing their tolerance. Yes. Um, and I thought, you know, this did seem to make more impact fifteen years ago and twenty years ago, even going back to the days of uh, the Ali G show where Borat appeared as a, hmm. a character in little interstitial bits. Um, and I think the reason is that... I think it's kind of twofold. I think one reason is that um, bigotry and racism and sexism have exploded in um, They've almost visibility. become socially acceptable. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, I think in in some circles, they, they are socially acceptable. You know, um, people so, are much more comfortable expressing it, yeah. right? Like it, it was never kind of not there, but it's okay to say it now. Yeah. Like you did under uh, under Bush, you didn't see fascist rallies. Yes, you know, and people putting out Nazi salutes and all that kind of stuff. People driving into crowds and that kind of thing mm-hmm. that you don't to Trump. But the other thing is that I think comedy's changed significantly since the first one came out in two thousand and six, because um, I've mentioned before on this podcast how big a fan I am of The Daily Show. Mm. And The Daily Show under Jon Stewart, which was a nightly satire show. And it's a parody news show. So, you know, you have Jon Stewart as the anchor, quote-unquote, and then you have these correspondents, quote-unquote, that would go out and interview people. Um, and when you go back to the 2006, like, the show had was just hitting its stride in those days, and it had still had a lot of time to develop. And, and it's such an influential programme in terms of the kind of aesthetic and style and grammar it created around how to talk to the public and get them to expose their beliefs mm. and that sort of thing, that actually it, that's kind of become kind of normalised. So if you look recently, The Daily Show's still doing it. There's also Jordan Klepper, who's on The Daily Show and has had his own programmes, who's a brilliant American comedian. He's done a lot of stuff uh, about going to rallies and talking to uh, uh, Trump people and Klan people and all that kind of stuff. He's amazing. And you really think, like, oh, the ball's on this guy to talk to these people, do what he's doing. Sam B as well on Full Frontal, again, an alum of The Daily Show. She and her correspondents do that sort of thing. So it, basically what I'm saying is the kind of stuff that Borat was doing that was I very it, impactful at the time has now become much more common. Well, it seemed novel to me and it was definitely impactful. And I think also it had to do uh, with where it was from. Mm. Yeah, I do think there's a difference in putting these interviews in a British you know, audiovisual culture in the mid-90s. Yeah, where actually there was a veneer of politeness and there were kind of subjects that were taboo (laughs) and so on. And in this free-for-all internet world, yeah, where kind of, you know, anything can be said online. Yeah, the difference between kind of, you know, revealing, you know, uh, something, you know, with a Saudi uh, in Channel 4 in 1996 is vastly different than the existence of this film in the cultural landscape, in the audiovisual landscape that we inhabit. I agree. The culture has changed significantly, and that's a huge part of it. Uh, and, and I think it's probably, in some sense, I have a kind of advantage, maybe, in being familiar with mm. all this TV stuff that I talk about, because, as you're saying, 
you, you're not so familiar with that. No, I remember I saw it when it all came out, as it came out. No, no, but I mean the American stuff I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, no, the American stuff I don't follow very much. Yeah, so like, so because I'm accustomed to um, all of that kind of satire that, that is kind of produced on a nightly basis in America and has been for several years now, like 10 years at least, they've been doing really high-quality stuff like this. This film um, seems less... Oh, it seems less to me too. I don't think that has or original in that respect. I think it's um, because it is. I mean, so so I'm not familiar with all of that stuff, but I still felt. I mean, this is in a way a nothing of a film, and you know, uh, much less funny uh, than Bruno or the original uh, Borat. Hmm. Um, so I think you know the first the first five minutes are brilliant. Like I just couldn't believe you know what you were saying. Um, but it's a very poorly directed film. Yeah, it's like they just plonk the camera places, really. Um, there's very few jokes that are not conceptual, yeah, that don't have to do with the situation that he's building. Um, there's a lot that leaves you uncomfortable, and not only because the situation is uncomfortable. I hated the whole sentimental daughter-father thing. That's you know. one of the things I liked. Oh, well, you know, you, I, mean, it, it, <laughs> I would you know, expect you to. Not because I cried or anything. It wasn't like that. But I just thought yeah, the film required a level of kind of sweetness under it, I guess. Felt well, like, yeah, I, I mean, to me, his strength has always been that he gets past all of those, you know, the sentimentality mm. and, you know, the outward sweetness and gets to the truth of things. And actually, I thought that did the opposite. Mm. You know, it kind of it created a sentimentality uh, uh, that was completely unnecessary. So um, I didn't like that. And it made me just as uncomfortable as, you know, some of the other stuff. Um, mm. I wanted to talk about the um, the filming and the editing, which you mentioned briefly, because while we were watching it just now, I, w- I happened to watch it this morning at work when it came out. So mm. I just came around here and saw the last, like, you know, I caught the last hour mm. with you, but I had seen it before. Um and you were saying, how much of this is set up? Right? Yes. And it's a very natural question to ask. Because when you think about what Sasha Baron Cohen did on TV with Ali G and Bora and Bruno, it was essentially your character has an interview with a person hmm. and asks them you know, unusual questions and whatever and puts them in an uncomfortable position. It was very, very obvious how much was set up, which is basically they just having an interview. When it came to the film, and it, this was true of the first film as well, putting a narrative into it raises questions. So in the first film, there was this big sequence where um, Borat, he's, he's going after Pamela Anderson, he thinks that's the love of his life, and he gets on this bus with these frat boys, and they are ridiculously sexist, drunken guys. And it, and it was a classic kind of mm. Borat exposing these people's attitudes and beliefs mm. through letting them speak, giving them enough rope to hang themselves kind of thing. And it leads to them, you know, he shows them a picture of Pamela Anderson and says, that's going to be my wife, and they explain who she is and so on. So it has this kind of story function. Um, but, it, like, they are so perfect that you go, how how did they find these guys? How far in advance did they find these guys? They did not just pick these guys up on the street and mm. find that they were perfect for this film. Like, there's some, there has to be some level of setup here. Not to suggest that they knew who he was, mm. but there's something more. And, there, and that happens a lot in this, so... Particularly, I would say the baker, right? Um, 
they go to this bakery because uh, the pr- premier of Kazakhstan wants an anti-Semitic cake. And, they, and so they get a cake with Jews will not replace us iced on it. And she just does it without saying a word. And then the daughter wants a little cupcake. And she sees these cupcakes with little baby figures on top, these little plastic babies. She eats it. She accidentally swallows the baby. It leads to this scene in an abortion clinic. Well, not an abortion, a Christian doctor clinic. And the Christian doctor says, no, 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 we don't do abortions. The point is... Where did that cake come from, right? Did they just go around loads of cake shops and find one until they found one that does these baby cakes? Of course not. Of course not. It's set up to some degree. It has to be. It has to be. Right? And and it's a very natural question to ask how much. And nothing is revolved. You don't know how much the baker was in on this. Hmm. You know, you, you think if she's acting, if she's a paid performer... Um, that completely kills the level of trust you have in the way the film is made. She can't be, but still there's this question that's unresolved. Yes, About there is. how much is um, built in. I mean, that was the natural question to ask. I'm not sure that that's what bothers me most about the film. Hmm. I think what bothers me most is that it lacks the courage of its convictions in a way that the original Ali didn't. Yeah, it went too far. It pushed right through. It kind of... You know, so in this one, for example, you know, at the end, right? So, you know, the patriarchy is toppled. And now instead of sending, you know, exporting kind of young girls, they export young boys. And where do they export them to? Kevin Spacey, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, you go, wow, it's like too much and it's funny, Hmm. right? How do you uh, uh, bring that together with that gross sentimentality about the daughter and I love you and, you know, I leave you on my... I mean, I really... That, I mean, that made me so uncomfortable, right, really. Yeah, how, how do you reconcile, you know, that uh, harsh push towards a laugh with that drippy sentimentality about, you know, I love you more than my sons and all that stuff. I mean, I thought that that just lacked courage. I think the um, thing... That particular moment where they escape from Rigidiani and she says, uh, he says, I love you more than my sons, um, is sentimental. But it's sens- it is sentimental in a way that is, it's having its cake and eating, I think. It's skewering that kind of sentimentality while indulging in it. Like, it, it's, uh, you know, do you know I what I mean? Like, get that. I think the way that that <laughs> bit is delivered, this is just my interpretation, I think that way that bit is delivered is, is such a trope that it's self-knowing, Right. Which is not to say that it's not also doing it for real. It is, but it's kind of it's doing it in, for real in such a way that you go, "Oh yeah, I've seen this bit." Hmm. You know what I mean? I don't like it, and no, sure. you know, um, I think it's a capitulation, really. Um, so, but still, you know, I love the first five minutes. Yeah, it was like one joke after another after another, and seemingly more extreme until you know he ends up sitting on the, on his best friend's skin. <laughs> With yeah. his penis still intact, right? I mean, you know, that was incredible. Um, and the other moment that was incredible was the whole Rudy Giuliani thing, which I think we have to talk about. Yeah, we have to talk about this. Uh, so, um, did you know... Well, you didn't know anything about this because you said no, it came I, up... Oh, my God, they actually got him for the film. Yes. I'd heard about this, and it's been a conversation that's been going on on Twitter for at least a few days, although it came out in the press, as I mentioned, a while ago that they'd had this run in but it wasn't until recently that we got these stills from the film that were a couple of stills from from the scene in the bedroom which was shot on a hidden camera whereas most of the film is not yes um so the idea is that the daughter 
who is playing 15, but like I say, the actress is 24, 25, is becoming a journalist. And she gets an interview with Rudy Giuliani and she gets it so that she can give herself to Rudy Giuliani because she believes that will save her father from death. She will be the gift to a friend of President Trump. Um, so during the interview, she's flirting with him. She's putting his ha- uh, hand on his knee. Um, and, and he's, he's playing along and, and he's with everything. He's friendly. And, and it's grotesque. Um, and he's you know, been a bit of a dirty old man. A bit. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I think she invites him for drinks in the bedroom. Um, and he comes with, you know, kind of like a dog. And he pats her bum. Yeah, he's, well, that, yeah, he's on like a on a on a her waist. He puts his hand on her waist. He sat down on the bed, and I I did watch this a few times, like the fucking Zapruder film, you know, because there's been such an ongoing conversation about what he's doing. Because before the film came out, and I will, I've got the statement on Twitter. Giuliani did put out a statement. I've just lost it. Give me a moment to find it. Hold on. Right. Thank you for waiting. <laughs> um, so this is Giuliani's statement on Twitter from the twenty first, which is. Wednesday, and the film came out on Friday. Uh, the Borat video is a complete fabrication. I was tucking in my shirt after taking off the recording equipment. At no time before, during, or after the interview was I ever inappropriate. If Sasha Baron Cohen implies otherwise, he is a stone-cold liar. In fact, the New York Post Today report, quote, it looks, like, it looks to me like an exaggeration through editing, end quote. As soon as I realised it was a setup, I called the police, which has been noted in the Hollywood Report article on July the 8th. And then there's a couple more statements about Trump. That's um, nonsense. I mean, you know, because aside from everything else, before the physical stuff happens, right, which is just suggested, right, it's just the beginnings of something that never actually does happen, but that is actually still quite disgusting. There's an incredible lasciviousness mm. in just flirtation, looks, interaction, double entendre, you know, and you are watching like a 70 year old guy and a 20-year-old girl, and he's gross, and it's him. <laughs> yeah, he is. But I, I said on Twitter this morning, be honest, as much as you'd like it to be, the Rudy Giuliani bit is nothing like as damning as you were led to believe. Don't get me wrong, he was caught, but I must have missed the bit where it's established that he believes she's 15 years old, which was which is part of what people have been talking about. It's not. Well... Uh, yeah, I don't. Th- I don't. Borat runs in the room and says she's fifteen. She's too old for well, you. She looks, that's after this has all happened. She looks very young, right? I think she looks twenty-five. I don't think she looks twenty-five. I think uh, you know. I, I think she she doesn't look underage, right? Hmm. But she looks very young, too young for him. And um, well, that's certainly true. The scene that's being played out is a scene of gross power imbalance in which he takes advantage of it. And he's playing along with it. So, you know, I, I think he comes across very, very badly. Of course, he's not jumping on her bones. But he is in a bed with her hand on his zipper while he's smiling. Right? Yeah. So, like... Well, the thing is, I, I it's honestly... It's pretty damning. It, he's been caught being a dirty old man. Yes. Um, and abusing his position. Possibly, but sh- this is the thing. I really had trouble going... I don't like Rudy Giuliani, right? And I, I feel... I, I don't like to defend the guy because he's a nut job. <laughs> and he goes above and beyond in supporting Donald Trump all the time. And he's he's crazy. But I'm watching the scene. I'm watching it back. I was kind of thinking, this is a storm in a teacup. Well, she's, she's the one coming on to him fairly heavily. It's hardly surprising that he responds. Well, She's attractive and young and seems to want him. Invites him into the bedroom for drinks. 
I, and from what I understand, at the time he was divorced, um, like, well, like he was, to my understanding, cheating on... You see, this someone. is, I think, in a way how standards of public life have crashed. You know, because the fact is, he is a public person. He is a government official. Yeah, so... He's not a government official. He's the president's lawyer. Okay. Yeah. So he's got a public position as the president's lawyer. You know, Uh, for him to allow this kind of stuff to play out on camera is just abysmal. So, you know, I mean, I think what people were expecting is, you know, for this old guy to jump on this underage girl, of course, that's not what you see. But what you see is pretty damning. Yeah, I, I, I do know what you mean. And like I say, he's been caught being gross and inappropriate. It is inappropriate. It's gross and but it's I'm... inappropriate. And it's with a huge age disparity. Uh, I, I think there are just so many uh, worse things, really. You know... Well, I mean, my God. If he's taking advantage, he's taking advantage of someone who is clearly attempting to seduce him. It's not a surprise, you know. Um, Or, you know, or or maybe that's going slightly far, but he's responding to signals that are coming quite clearly. He's flirting with her. It's true that she flirts back, that she says that she wants to be Melania. But, you know, I I do... It's very interesting, isn't it? Because, Mm. you know, he is a public figure. She's not, Right. And it's it's very interesting that this kind of thing is like the the onus is always put on the woman as if the man has no responsibility to say, oh, no, this is inappropriate. You know, I am the president's lawyer. Right. I'm not going to respond no, sure. to this. You know, so somehow, you know, just because you're a guy, that you're, you're, it's somehow OK to respond to any situation that is kind of put before you, I think it's really wrong. What I'm really arguing against, I suppose, is the, is the people's response to this, the people saying, oh, God, what he's doing is absolutely unconscionable and the worst thing. I think this ain't that bad. Well, there are worse things, but it's pretty bad. And let me give you an analogy here. You know, so if, you know, a a 14-year-old boy comes on and throws himself, you know, at his teacher, right? You know, we have laws that prevent that and make it inappropriate that the onus is on the adult to say no. Mm. There's something not quite the same, but akin to that here. Mm. I mean, you know, he is a public figure. He does have responsibilities in government. Yeah. Uh, She is, you know, an immigrant, ethnic, young, you know, uh, there's all kinds of imbalances where the onus is on him to say no. And instead he just jumps at it like a dirty, the dirty old man he is. The dirty, unscrupulous, unprincipled old man that he is. And that comes across in that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't like <laughs> defending it, you know, and defending him. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I, def- I did find it, I have found it an overreaction. Well, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, um, you know. I, and I actually, when it comes I, to the actual uh, bedroom scene itself, because, you know, as I say, he didn't know at that point he was on camera. Um, and the thing about tucking his shirt in, it actually seemed quite obvious to me I when mean, I watched it. He was tucking his shirt in. The thing, about the thing about removing microphone equipment is a bit dumb. That's normally put on the back of you. But, um, you know, I'm not down your pants. But she's untucked his shirt, which you see. He seems to be tucking it back in. I think, to me, and, you know, maybe this is just my age, right? But to go, like, you know, in my adult life, 
And I think when Reagan got elected, I was already an adult. I was over 18. Like, all of the conversations around his candidacy were, will uh, the American public elect a divorced man? <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> fact that you were divorced until then had actually meant that you could not uh, uh, run for office, right? So, you know, there were a series of um, barriers. I mean, you know, I, I heard, for example, that when Kennedy won, you know, the surprise was that, you know, the U.S. would elect a Catholic. Yeah, that previously mm. kind of Catholics uh, were, like, literally barred from the highest office and so on. So you go from a discussion where a divorce is seen as an enormous transgression where, you know, a, 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 a really old guy with a really young girl, uh, you know, where he's patting her bum and she's got her, his, her hand, you know, on his zipper, that that's somehow not a big deal. And actually, to me, it is. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I, it makes me think of the um, Max Mosey thing from a few years ago, several years ago now, where he was photographed having these sex parties with prostitutes. Yeah, I feel different about that, actually. Well, the thing with that, I was going to say, is... He's he, not a public figure. He, well, he was. No, he wasn't. Um, yeah, well, not in the not in government, if that's what you mean. Yes. Um, but he had a public profile. Well, but, but, that's, but, but that's not what I'm referring to. I mean, you could have a public... I don't care if Brad Pitt ends up in bed with a 20-year-old. You know, I don't right. care. But there is something... You know, he is not just a famous person... He's a public figure. He's got a role in the running of the United States, right? Right, okay. You know, he does. That's why he's in the media all the time. You know, I mean, he's in the media because he's, he's, he's Trump's lawyer, but he's got a public role in that. He's representing the president of the United States in the courts. Mm. I mean, sure. you know. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's different than Max Mosley. I mean, Max Mosley was a, what, a Formula One? Uh, uh, he was associated with Formula One. You expect him to do stuff like that. Yeah. You know. And son of a famous fascist. Well, yeah, he was Oswald Mosley's son, and, you know, and he was a a Mitford as well, and, you know, an English aristocrat, but whatever. I mean, I do think whatever people do in the, you know, the government or the media, for that matter, you know, shouldn't uh, put its nose in the bedrooms of, you know, private people. But I think public figures... Yeah, are different. They have a different responsibility. And the thing is, when it comes to um, Giuliani, like you, you keep saying, oh, he's a public figure, but well, last time he was a public figure, as in paid by the public, was when he was mayor of New York, I think. Possibly, um, but you know, he like, is... As, as Trump's lawyer, that's a personal... No, but there's all these things about... No, it's not just a personal, right? He is the president of the United States lawyers. He represents the president of the United States in the courts. I mean, you know, there is there a kind of um, uh, uh, an expectation of, uh, of A, following the law, you know, and of behaving kind of appropriately. And this is not appropriate behavior, Mm. you know. So, yeah, I I do think it's, you know, if you're a private person, it's, you know, no law has been broken, right? Um, But if you're a public figure there are kind of different rules, you know. And actually, the film makes, um, gets most of its humor about those rules, that it's inappropriate to say particular things in particular places or to dress in particular ways in particular places and so on. And it's very inappropriate for the, you know, the lawyer of the, pre- of the president of the United States of America to be in bed with, like, a 20-year-old girl doing those things. Mm. 
Fair enough. That's a good point, and one that I hadn't really. I I did think about it, like I say, in those kind of maximalist terms, where I was going, well, what he does with his private life is no one's business, you know. That which was the thing about Max Mosley was it was this huge scandal, and the attitude he personally took was, I'm going to sue you for this well, he because was, you shouldn't be right. in my bedroom, and what I do is my own business, and that was kind of my response to this. But I think you're right. Like there is more of an onus because of his relationship with the president. Yeah. Um, there is more of an onus to, to behave with some propriety. Yes, propriety? with some propriety. dignity. I mean, and actually, this is a long-standing code of behaviour, you know. I mean, if you're associated with the royals and, you know, you do things like that, then you can no longer be associated with the royals because it taints the monarchy. The same, you know, with historically with prime ministers or public figures, right? Like, you know, it wasn't even just their own actions. It was the actions of those around them. Right, and if they didn't uh, behave appropriately, they you know they lost their place, right? So so yeah, yeah. This, and this fits into that kind of uh, pattern. Okay, um, I do want to quickly briefly return to the idea that we were talking about about how much is real and that kind of thing, because I said to me it also comes down to filming and editing. So let's take as an example the fertility dance <laughs> scene where uh, Borat and his daughter. Uh, kind of infiltrate this um, debutante ball yes. in like Georgia, I think, right? Somewhere in the deep south. And again, this speaks to kind of hierarchies of male and female power and the idea that women have to be subservient to their men and like the kind of debutante thing really speaks to that. Um, and as part of the ball, they, uh, people take turns to dance. These couples take turns to dance. And when it comes to Borat and his daughter's dance, they do a quote-unquote fertility dance because it is her quote-unquote blood moon time. Or she has, uh, a, she has her moon blood in. Basically, she's on a period. And so they do this dance, which is she lifts up her skirt at one point and exposes blood and hair and all the rest around her. She's got her knickers on, but, um, you know, you see, <laughs> see quite a lot. Um, and it's quite shocking. And you see the response. Again, and people I'm, are quite shocked. People are appalled and disgusted and so on. But again, I did go back and watch this twice because I thought, I'm not getting the feeling that... What I wanted was a shot that had everyone in the same shot. Mm. And you barely get that. Because the feeling I was left with after I watched the scene the first time was going, are those the real reactions? Did they actually show them this? Because you get shots of the two of them dancing, and there are these fairly wide shots, but they're the only two in the scene. And then you get these close-ups that they've caught the reactions of all the responses. And there was one shot when I went back and watched it carefully where it starts on the two of them dancing and the camera, uh, basically the cameraman kind of steps back enough that you see kind of hands and wrists mm. of a few of the people watching. So clearly there's someone there. Because like I say, ultimately I was left going, I'm not sure I believe what I'm seeing. And it's partly mm. that thing of, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm seeing, as you suggested. But like literally kind of, there are so many questions around the truth value of what we're seeing mm. that I want more concrete belief that actually this all happened in the same place. And I think it is actually a problem with some of the shooting and editing that you don't get so much of that. Mm. Um, I want more, even stuff that you actually know happened. So when Borat goes to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, and presents, he dresses up as Trump and he presents his daughter supposedly to Mike Pence you know that happened it was reported in the press he oh. disrupted Mike Pence's speech but you the way that it's shot um, you get you know, Pence is shot at this long distance 
uh, Borat all the way over here in the audience. You, you, it's hard to get them in the same shot. And well, but it, you it know, kind of hurts the scene a bit. You, you have to be reasonable. I mean, you do. If you're jumping into these situations, you can jump in with five cameras. You do, and yeah. I don't want to be too unfair to the filmmakers for kind of failing to get that to my satisfaction. But I do think that what they did get did leave me a little bit unsatisfied, basically. Yes. Well, there's lots in this film uh, that is unsatisfying, uh, actually, because I think it has brilliant moments and has brilliant jokes, and I laughed a lot, but there was a lot of discomfort that went along with it. Mm. Yeah, and certainly um, there was a lot of crassness, uh, both in the humour and in the filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to briefly mention something that the film uh, almost accidentally brought up, which I rather liked, where he meets the um, the two elderly Jewish ladies. Yes. One of whom doesn't speak very much, and the other of whom is a Holocaust survivor and speaks to him. The idea is he goes to a synagogue waiting to be shot. You think there'll be yes. a mass shooting. And um, and he goes dressed as a Jew. I thought the joke actually was going to be he would go as Sacha Baron Cohen, because Sacha Baron Cohen is Jewish. I mm. thought that would be a brilliant joke. Yes. But no, he goes with an extended hook nose and the you know, stereotypical kind of cartoon racist And a devil's tail. Yes. Some racist <laughs> cartoon features. And he meets these two old ladies there, and they're very kind to him. And, and um, one lady... She says, you know, no, 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 I don't have horns. I don't bite. I'll kiss you. Look, you're still alive and so on. She treats him with a ridiculous level of kindness. What, one thing that you see through a lot of the film, I think, is is an opportunity that people have to be kind, yeah. which actually is at odds with what you saw 15 years ago. Because of 15 years ago, it was about exposing people's bigotry, you know. And here, I, I, here it's definitely the case that people have more opportunity uh, to be nice than they take advantage of. In some cases, so you know the the guy who's sending the faxes back and forth, where it's kind of being established over facts with Kazakhstan that Borat's daughter is going to become this this concubine gift to be given to a powerful man. It's like you would like him to speak up and say something, you know, maybe, but he doesn't. Mm. In an ideal world, some you know, in an ideal world, the um, the cosmetic surgeon, you know, would say something about your you you want to give your fifteen year old daughter fake tits to, yeah. so she can be given to a man like you would like him to say something. There's a lot of just kind of okay. being polite. But the thing is, the film is also not doing the thing that the first film did, where it was about exposing people's bigotry, like you we're here to get you. I don't think the film really does that. No, and actually, it just made me think of something that I think is interesting in relation to the film, which is that you know. I, it, it makes one feel very sad because actually one of the things that the film brings out is that a lot of these people with these horrible ideas, you know, and nasty ideas and, and, and nasty thoughts, yeah, that actually they would really like to harm people that don't think like them, that actually in many ways are very nice. Yeah, that kind of, mm. you know, so that couple of guys who are the conspiracy theory guys, I mean, you know, who would invite somebody to their home and feed them and put up with, you know, someone like that? I mean, yeah. you do actually get a sense of kindness emanating from them, yeah? And that jives very badly with the nastiness that ends the film. You know, because in some ways it's very funny, right? But representing Americans, you know, in that gross way, in the equivalent of the running of the bulls, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Well, know. it was a running of the Jew in the first film. Yeah. <laughs> well, in this, it comes across as a nastiness, right? Like, mm. you do have to divorce, you know, whatever the actions of the American government or the nation are from American people. And actually, that's what he himself doesn't do. 
Yeah, it's interesting with the, with the running of the American at the end that it is so at odds with the Americans, for the most part, that you've seen in the film. They yes. are basically nice yes. and fairly accommodating. And they do get pushed too far, but, I, but very few people do something in the film or react in a certain way that I go, oh, no, you really shouldn't have done that. I think, you know, if, you know if the film had taken place in Spain... He would have been punched out twenty five times, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, so, but um, so, but just finish thing about the the, the Jewish ladies because they are extremely accommodating, mm. really, really accommodating, and she's so nice to him. She says, "I want to hear your story," and there is this thing that her family, she's since died, and there is a dedication at the end of the credits to her. Mm. Um, her family apparently is suing the filmmakers because they say she was duped. This happens quite a lot with Sasha Baron Cohen. They say. Uh, she was duped into being in an anti-Semitic film that makes fun of the Holocaust. And it's one of these things where you go, no... You... My God, that's a real well, willful uh, misunderstanding. I mean, a lot of the time I think it's greed. And I don't say that because they're Jewish. Mm. I say it because they're people and family. And I think this happens a lot with family. Yeah. Um, they want to take, they basically see the opportunity to make money out of yeah. you, get a settlement. I think that's one of the things. And also it's something that happens very commonly, these misunderstandings that, like, obviously he's inhabiting the character to make fun of those things. You know, you have to see the wood for the trees. But the thing about the the, the Holocaust thing that I mentioned that, that it made me think of is something that I thought for a little while, which is, which is the thing of, you know, why would people who hate Jews deny the Holocaust, right? Like, I think they're coward racists, not just racists. But I think a racist who really believes what he means would say, no, the Holocaust happened, and it was a bloody good thing too, mm. you know? And actually... Because what happens with Borat here is he believes the Holocaust happened and it was a bloody good thing too. And then he discovers, quote-unquote, on Facebook that it didn't happen. He sees these Holocaust denial pages. And then when the Jewish lady says, no, 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 the Holocaust did happen, I was there, he celebrates, he cries with happiness. I know. I thought, lovely. Um, (laughs) I think one of the things that I don't like about the film is how it obfuscates kind of ideological things, you know, rather than revealing them. You know, and it, it does so in terms of gender and race and and so on. Um, and I think that's a good example of it, you know, how kind of um, things can coexist. And, you know, people aren't racist because they're racist. So, you know, it's not that, you know, they're mean and nasty and so on, though they can be, you know, kind of people's racism is an expression of a particular set of ideas that they've absorbed or imbibed or you know, kind of been brought up with and, you know, that have never been challenged. So, you know, kind of, you could be nice and racist, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, until, you know, but, but so for example, I'm thinking of my grandmother here, you know, because... I'm thinking of my grandmother as well, but go on. <laughs> yeah, because, um, you know, my grandmother was a lovely woman. I remember one of my aunts got a job as a nanny in Montreal uh, with Jews, he was like, how could you work for Jews? They killed Christ. Mm. <laughs> and so on, right? You know, and, um, you know, and she was the kindest woman, right? Like, you know, she didn't have any hatred and certainly, you know, had uh, any harm come to a child, she would have helped, right? Whether he was Jewish or not. Yeah. But that it's even a que- that the question even arose. She'd never met a Jew. She'd never seen a Jew. There were yeah. no Jews in our village, right? It's just these set of ideas that you somehow... It's ignorance. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's more than ignorance. It's it's ideas you've been taught. Yes. Right? Because they don't come out of nowhere. Right? So instead of challenging the ideas and challenging where they come from and who's got a stake in them, you know, and so on, it's almost like you're blaming the people for, Mm. yeah? Um, Yeah. 
and 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 the film does it very badly because on the one hand it is exposing people's racism and therefore making you think you know these people are horrible and on the other hand it's also giving you the impression well actually some of them are quite nice yeah. you know so it kind of mm. yeah it's a diluted sting in some ways mm. but I think it, it may kind of represent more honestly the complexity of how it all works like you say you, you could be racist because you absorb these ideas, um, but that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person if you are just wrong. Yeah. You know, like I said, so the thing I was thinking about with my gran, who was Jewish, she was born in 1927, I think, and she was evacuated during the war. Mm. And she was evacuated to Coventry to like this kind of, I think, like a country house basically, mm. um, with her brother. So she would have been um, what 13, 14, 15 yes. years old, something like that, and. The family that she was living with had never met Jews before. No one had met Jews before. Like people, people in this country still really don't know what Jews are. Oh, yes. Um, and my gran used to, she always used to say that they would invite people around and they all go, "Where are the horns?" People really, really wow. didn't know that Jews didn't have horns. You know, yes. that's that level of sort of, of ignorance. Know, yes. Um, Nicely matched grandmother stories. <laughs> well, your grandmother was probably of the of the. Um, generation that would have been looking after my grandmother but yes <laughs> so well you know my so gra- she was of that sort of very ignorant uh, generation yeah i mean she was a phenomenal woman this grandmother of mine um yeah but anyway it's funny it, i just i would say um i, I did have i was chatting uh, to celia as i so often am in the middle of the night because mm. <laughs> that's when i'm awake um about the film and we were talking about british jews and she was sort of saying like yeah it, it, it never made sense to me that that British people were Jewish. Something, something doesn't match. Like, we don't have the culture of Judaism in this country like American Jews have. Yes. You know, American Jews have American Jewish comedy, especially. Yes. Um, and, well, the, and it's much Which more... is American comedy. And actually, yeah. um, you know, Jewish culture in America has uh, become part of American culture. You know, I mean, I, obviously, you know, somebody like Woody Allen is Jewish, Right, but Woody Allen's comedy is American comedy. It's, you know. and it's especially New York comedy as well. Like there are, exactly. I think there are so many categories that have this kind of cross pollination. Yeah, but, but Jewish is one of them, yes. and it's very well understood. I think really, mm. um, I mean, there are still lots of ignorant people, but Judaism as a part of the wider culture in America is very well established. Yes, which it isn't here. Yes, people still, I think, really are kind of fairly ignorant as to as to maybe, what Judaism is or how well, it maybe operates. Maybe it's a nicer thing. Maybe it's a way of living the culture differently, that you're just English, you know, and yeah. some English are Catholics and some English are Protestants and some English are Jews. <laughs> well, I, well, the thing is, this is what I said to Celia. I said, I think Jews are actually a natural fit in this country because, I, in my experience, a lot of Jewish people are snobs and English are snobs. <laughs> <laughs> and so an English Jew, I mean, like, so we, my gran, again, was a lovely person in all sorts of ways. But she could be a snob, and a lot. Of, I see it a lot yeah. in in, um, in the Jewish community. Uh, in my experience, that especially the older generation could be snobs, yes. and that's very English. So we fit perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should wrap up here now. Yeah. So do you want to say any last thing? No, no, that was it. I wanted to get the Jewish thing off my chest. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube, and Google Podcasts. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Cheerio. It's funny, it's just occurred to me, the thing of... um...
the, the name Borat, well, the first one was Borat Cultural Learning of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, and this one has a similar title. That thing is, it's like Make Kazakhstan Great Again. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Uh-huh. 